0: there It's Scary Persians. Friday, December 28th, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me. And once again, ain't nothing happened since last time we talked. I said this on Wednesday's podcast. It was true then. I'm saying it again on this podcast. It's true again now. Bottom line, this is by far the worst week of the college basketball season. The only ranked team that's played a game so far this week is Houston, and that was last Sunday against Coppin State, so whatever. Christmas is great for the kids, great in general. I enjoyed the day with my family, but putting Christmas on a Tuesday really does screw up an entire week of college basketball, evidence being that this is the only week of the entire season in which one ranked team will not play another ranked team. Norlander, how bored are you with this week?
1: You know what? I embrace it. Because I've gotten to—it's uh, boring, there's no doubt about it, but I know we're turning into uh, a pretty active January here, and that'll be awesome. But I've had a chance to catch up with uh, with a lot of albums, do a little bit of reading, and so I welcome the reprieve while even squeezing in our, our three-week college basketball podcast to the listeners who, frankly— I. I you know, I don't want to be too presumptive here, but I hope we are we are filling your week up with uh, with some college hoops content that you're craving amid a lot of non stuff happening on the court. So I've actually uh, I've enjoyed the fact that there hasn't been so much hoops action, and I'm excited to chat about uh, the interesting games we've got coming this weekend. And yes, in a little bit, the much awaited, highly anticipated, at least only on my end, year in review is coming at you on this podcast.
0: It is true that this is a week where you can't catch up on anything. Like I've done multiple expense reports. You know, I've uh, that's thrilling. Uh, uh, yeah, I I, I I cleaned out the garage like you do because I'm, I'm home and there aren't any real relevant games happening. You you do have a time to actually like act like a normal person. So I guess that's the, the good side. But I am ready to uh, get back to relevant college basketball games and we will do so. How about this for a transition Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern? The biggest game this weekend is number 16, Kentucky. Uh, against louisville inside the yum center downtown louisville kentucky enters with a nine and two record thanks to that uh, big win over north carolina and last week in cbs sports classic at the united center uh, norlander and i were both there uk's two losses so far this season the 34 point loss to duke and then the overtime loss to seton hall and this game against louisville it will be uh, kentucky's first true road game of the season meantime louisville 9-3 and three overall, 8-0 inside the Yum Center. The Cards have beaten Michigan State, also beat the same Seton Hall team that beat Kentucky. Louisville's losses are Tennessee on a neutral, Marquette on a neutral, at Indiana, so nothing bad on the resume. Louisville's unranked now, but if the Cardinals beat Kentucky, I'm certain they'll be in the uh, top 25-1 come Sunday morning. Like I said, tip is at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, Norlander. It's not the same as uh, Calipari-Patino, Kentucky-Louisville game, but it's still pretty good, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It is pretty good. And I was thinking about that actually yesterday, Paris, just in terms of the Chris Mack, John Calipari uh, dynamic and what it will become. I was just I was wondering, like, you know, I was thinking what Patino and Cal uh, grew into over the past decade. And I thought five years from now, if Cal is still at Kentucky and Mack is still at Louisville, what will the state of that rivalry be like? Um, They are not. It's weird because Patino and Cal, in a lot of ways, were very different, but very similar. And in a completely different way, I feel that of, of Mac and Cal. Um, I think that uh, that Mac and Calipari are, are built more likely to actually gel and, and get along. Um, I think you'll see that. Obviously, the rivalry is the rivalry from the fans' perspective, and it's still a great one uh, for the Kentucky and Louisville fans that want to claim this is the best in college basketball. I don't Disagree with that if you want to say it's the most heated amongst the fan base. I still think Duke and Carolina just means the most in college basketball. Arguably, it means the most in college athletics because if you want to say it's Ohio State-Michigan, Alabama-Auburn in football or whomever else you want to throw out there, um, those are undeniably big in college football. Is huge, but Duke UNC seems to transcend on a national level beyond what any of those other rivalries mean. I'm completely veering off the course here, but uh, these are what I think. This is what I think about when we don't have a lot of games, and I know we uh, we're coming up on a halfway interesting weekend. I think Louisville is going to put up a pretty damn good fight here. I think Kentucky's the better team. This is. Perfectly placed for Mac and the cards, and that they get this first opportunity at home. Uh, Mac's first year with UofL. Uh, they get the Wildcats coming in. I do think it'll be a pretty close uh, competitive game. Louisville is better than I think people realize, particularly on the offensive end, Jordan Nuara has been great. I know we haven't talked a ton about the cards yet this season. They've been good. I mean, they haven't been great. They haven't been terrible. They've been good. Losses are to Tennessee and Marquette, both in Brooklyn. They should have won the Marquette game. I know we talked about that on the podcast. They had that game on, and the officials kind of ripped it from them. And then they lost uh, a tight one, a squeaker, at Indiana earlier this month. So I think it will be close. Louisville's going to be donning these uh, different uniforms, by the way. I saw them uh, unveiled on Twitter. They're actually pretty slick. I think it's awesome. Um, so I think it'll be close, and you didn't ask me for a prediction, but I'm going to give you one. I'll take maybe against my better judgment, but I, I do really like what I saw in Chicago, GP. I will take Kentucky to win this, and I got a weird feeling that this, we're going to we're going to be talking on Sunday night about, hey, that was, you know, that was really one of the better UK-UL rivalry games of the past 20 years or so. So give me Kentucky along the lines of 71-68, what I think will be pretty close from start to finish.
0: I don't know if it'll be one of the better Kentucky-Louisville games we've had in recent history, but I'm certain it'll be better than last season's. Do you remember that one?
1: Yeah, it was terrible. (laughs) Terrible, dude. I was there.
0: And not only was (laughs) I there, I was there and exhausted. I had booked the trip to go to Lexington for Kentucky-Louisville because it was going to be David Padgett's first game in this big rivalry. It's Kentucky-Louisville. It's big no matter what and i think it might have been a cbs game so i booked the trip and then found out i don't know 5 days after i'd already booked the trip that i had to do sideline on lsu memphis the night before at fedex Four. so i had to change my flight i was going to go in early i had to change my flight to a 6 a.m. flight cuz it was an early afternoon game so i basically on you know get home from fedex forum at L- oh, it was a late lsu the whole week was ridiculous i was at uh Disney World with my family for Christmas, came home on the afternoon, I believe, of the 27th, took a shower, went to FedEx Forum, did sideline on CBS Sports Network for LSU Memphis, came home, took a shower, slept like two hours, went to the airport, 6 a.m. departure, through Atlanta to Lexington, like I think straight to Rupp Arena. I was exhausted. And then at some point in the second half, I'm like, I cannot believe. I put myself through all of this to come watch 90-61 blowout. Dude, it was ninety sixty one. Score was tied 21-21. Then UK closes on a 20-6 to run. Um, they're up 41-27 at the half. They lead by 32 at one point in the second half. They win by 29, shot 57% from the field in the final 20 minutes. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think this one – Uh, We'll be good, and I'm 100% sure. At least I think I am. It's got to be better than that one. I actually think Louisville wins the game. I don't know that Louisville's better than Kentucky, but asking this Kentucky team that's been, with um, exception of last weekend, a little all over the place, asking them to go into Yum Center and beat a team that has really only lost a good team so far this season, uh, seems like a real big challenge. I know Kentucky, according to Ken Palm, is like a one-point favorite, but I think Louisville wins the game, if only because I just think trying to go in that place and win with this team right now, very difficult.
1: So you're calling Marquette a good team now, huh? I have forever called Marquette a good team. Don't get those Marquette fans <laughs> riled up. My God, <laughs> just kidding. We don't have. To, let's not. Let's not. Let's not scoot down that alley. Um, <laughs> it's. It will. No. Th- this is the highlight game. Uh, on what I think is actually a fairly quality Saturday in college basketball. Saturday in general is going to be a good day for sports fans because you've got the college football national semifinals. That's at 4 and 8 o'clock. Kentucky Louisville is a great way to just to scoot into that, if you will, because that's a, this is a 2 p.m. tip on Saturday. Um, so that's the highlight one. Um, We'll get to more about, obviously, after the game gets played and we record on Sunday night. um, I do think it is a potentially reputation-shifting game for Louisville just in this regard, GP. If it can win... It's going to be a very—it's its their final non-conference game, so it is a critical out-of-conference uh, result in their favor. Again, if they win 10-3 record, I think that's absolutely something that Louisville would have taken their fans uh, ahead of the season, not knowing quite what this roster would be, max first season, coming off all the, the drama of the FBI and NCAA sanctions and all this stuff. Um, I think that's big. If it loses, it's not a terrible non-con run. You've got the win over Michigan State, which is very valuable. Um, frankly, beating Vermont at home, Vermont's a good team. Vermont's a team that can actually win in the NCAA tournament. But I think that will rate as a quad three at the end of the season, maybe a quad two. So it's just not going to have that much uh, of a – it's not that, It's not going to resonate that much. You get the win at Seton Hall. I still think that's big. And then you beat a Lipscomb team that I do think will amount to a quad two win. So you still have enough there, but it's just not as much. Like if you can get Michigan State and Seton Hall and Kentucky, I think that's big going into a loaded ACC schedule where, frankly, I just think it's going to be tough for Louisville to to get into the 11-12 win territory in that conference. I don't think that's going to be possible. But this this could, if they get the win, set them up very well turning into 2019 to try and get that at-large bid.
0: You know, I, I may just be looking at this uh, too logical and or logically. And, you know, college basketball sometimes just flies in the face of that. But when Louisville's already beaten the Seton Hall team that Kentucky didn't beat and they beat them on the road and Louisville's already beaten inside the Yum Center, a Michigan State team, that's better, I think, than Kentucky. Um, it just it becomes difficult for me to think Kentucky's going to go in there and beat that Louisville team. Obviously, it can happen. And I did have multiple SEC coaches for whatever it's worth. Over the past week, even before Kentucky beat North Carolina, say that they thought losing Quad A Green would be addition by subtraction and that Cal being able to to tighten the rotation without benching somebody would be b- good for Kentucky, and that they were they were gonna be fine. Maybe not as good as a lot of us thought they'd be in the preseason, but that they were going to be fine and and, and better, better post Quad A Green than than they were with Quad A Green. Uh, so I thought that was interesting, and then obviously they certainly looked the part um, uh, against against North Carolina. But your point about Louisville being a little bit of an—I'm uh, I'm not sure how you phrased it—but underappreciated or under the radar, nine and three record—it's a hundred percent right. I was on radio in Louisville, I believe, last week with Bob D'Avano, and he, you know, asked me about Louisville and and you know, are do people are people paying attention at all? And I said, people like you and I are, but the casual sports fan, and this is just true, and it's why, and I don't want to spend much time on this, but it's why when people say the polls don't matter, they're just wrong. Um, If you go to your app, your ESPN app, your CBS Sports app, or whatever app, and you click on College Basketball Scoreboard page, the the default page is going to be the Top 25 page. If If you're in the Top 25, people will see your scores. They'll see your record. They'll see who scored the most points for you. If you're not, they don't same thing you get on the ticker you want to be on the ticker cbs sports network you want to be on the ticker espn espn 2 whatever you got to be in the top 25. Mm -hmm. um if you want you know what highlights are shown on sports center or on inside college basketball it's largely top 25 highlights and so louisville has put together a really solid resume i mean they've got the win over michigan state the win over seton hall and no bad losses um they, you know, the the a neutral court loss to to Tennessee, which no shame in that, a neutral court loss in the overtime, to an overrated Marquette team. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> to a to a very good Marquette team that I think is going to be the Big East champion, and then a, a one point loss at Indiana. Uh, they, they, so good, two good, at least two really good wins, no bad losses, and um and yet unranked. So I don't think it resonates across the country. But you beat Kentucky on national television on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it'll be overshadowed by the football games, but I think that probably launches you definitely into the top 25-1 and on Sunday and perhaps into the AP poll uh, on Monday. And then uh, this first year under Chris Mack um, starts to get maybe the attention
1: it it deserves. Yes. Um, uh, Eight-day stretch for Louisville between Kentucky and the start of ACC play, which will come on January 6th. Home against Miami, Louisville should win that. And then at Pitt, we'll see. I, I think Pitt is... A top two mysterious team in that league right now, maybe better than people realize, has done well, and then at UNC. So even though Mack and his staff and the players... I think for the most part, we'll be focused on this Kentucky game, not really worried about Pitt on January North or UNC on January 12th. If you just step back a little bit and look at the next four games, um, I think it's you know halfway critical to the overall big picture on Louisville's schedule. They'll obviously clearly have so many opportunities coming down the road, but you don't want to look up in two weeks and, and see that you were 9-3 and three heading into the Kentucky game, and then all of a sudden you're, say, 10-6. and six. I mean, that's, that's a major change in, in where you stand and how you'll be perceived. So, yes, this is a, a huge opportunity, and I do think it will be a very good game.
0: I think if you're Chris Mack, you want to try to go 3-1 and one in these next four. In in some, you know, uh, you know however you get it. Uh, Kentucky at home, uh, you know, that's a coin flip situation. Miami at home, you ought to win that one. Pitt on the road, even though Pitt has been uh, quite a surprise, really, under Jeff Capel. I mean, keep in mind, that Pitt team finished uh, uh, 227th at Ken last season. They opened this season 138. And he's already got them in the top 90. They're 9-3. Nine and three. A Tough loss at home to Niagara. You don't want to do that. But they did beat St. Louis, which was the preseason pick in the Atlantic 10. That pit team, it's a total rebuilding job. But they are already respectable. And I think if you can take over a crap situation and make it respectable uh, by Christmas of your first season then that's pretty good, and Jeff's been able to do that uh, already at Pitt. But still, if you're Louisville, you ought to be able to win that one. And then, of course, at North Carolina, you're a significant underdog. That's, I don't want to say the guaranteed loss, but that's the likely loss there. But you ought to be able to win the other three. Uh, I think two and two is acceptable next four for Louisville, Uh, but three and one should probably be the goal, although I'm sure Chris would say four and oh is the goal he wants to win every game. i got a group of six games that I want to throw at you that are scheduled uh, for – Saturday. You tell me what interest you here. You got number 6 Nevada at Utah. We've got Davidson at number 14 North Carolina. We got number 15 Wisconsin at Western Kentucky. Still not sure exactly why Wisconsin's playing at Western Kentucky. <laughs> Butler at Florida, Furman at East Tennessee State, Belmont at Purdue. What stands out?
1: Parrish, I'm loving it because frankly, um Almost all of them stand out. The one that actually interests me the least of those is is the Butler-Florida game. Um, just because, I, I don't know, I have, I have the least amount of intrigue in that overall. Uh, I still think it can be a, a pretty good game. and Neither team needs it, but it's one of those where if you don't get it, uh, you're going to be kicking yourself. Of those that you mentioned, the one I am most interested in is Nevada-Utah because going back to the opening night of the season— I, I marked this one as, as the game that Nevada would lose first. I thought this is where they'd get picked off. I will stick with that. Again, I'm an idiot. This is a Pac-12 team that I am picking to beat an undefeated team. Um, I'm going to lose this. Utah is only 6-5, and five, but it doesn't have an awful loss yet. <laughs> I'm not, like Let me try and just build my case in the weakest way possible, Parrish. The bad loss is against Hawaii, which came in California. I, I don't know if that's awful. Maybe Hawaii is a top-two team in the Big West. Otherwise, lost at Minnesota. Lost on a neutral to Northwestern. BYU, which I think is going to finish top three in the WCC, at Kentucky is understandable, although it was a blowout loss. Um, the wins are all, for the most part, just just whatever. Um, so I'm regretting this immediately. Like I'm regretting it. I didn't think Utah would be six and five. I thought that they maybe have two or three losses. But that one overall just it intrigues me the most. Um, I think you're going to be right though. I mean, you've had Nevada as the last undefeated standing team. This is the real hurdle here. But I will keep uh, I will keep an eye on it at the very least. That is, by the way, again, that is right alongside your Kentucky Louisville game. That's two o'clock tip on Saturday. Davidson UNC real quick. Roy has issues about—I think I mentioned it on the podcast. I know I wrote about it. Um, Roy has has legitimate concerns with the defense, and now you have to deal with a McKillop team coming in there. Davidson has beaten North Carolina uh, in the past few seasons, so that's obviously a little bit of an uncomfortable thing. That's a noon tip on Saturday, so prior to Kentucky-Louisville. Uh, your comment about why is Wisconsin playing at Western Kentucky— It's hilarious. It's a 5.30 tip on CBS Sports Network. Please get that a second screen action as you're watching the college football semifinal, if, in fact, you are doing that. I don't know why. To me, this is one of the most random games on the entire schedule. I'm talking of all of November and December. I actually like it because Wisconsin's a good team, and if they can win this and Western Kentucky can get its act together in Conference USA, it will benefit Bucky in a big way. And, frankly, Western Kentucky needs to win. It needs to take advantage here. You can easily make the case. We talked about most disappointing teams. We didn't mention WK that team should be nowhere near as poor as it is right now six and six and it's got the talent to be basically 10 and two at this point way way bizarre so I have a a weird curiosity with that and then you know what I'm always going to give you love when you're dropping some love for Belmont Belmont Purdue just I think has the potential to be a really good game and Belmont 100% can win that game Furman as well at East Tennessee State that's just quality both those teams are really really good in that league SoCon is awesome this year. And for that league specifically, it gets off with a bang because you'll have Wofford, ETSU, Furman, and Greensboro. All four of those good enough, in my opinion, to win an NCAA tournament game. So of the six you mentioned, I actually have a a roving curiosity with five. At the top of my list, in a macabre kind of way, is Nevada, Utah. But I think I'm most excited to see what Belmont could do against Purdue.
0: It looks like they did a football-basketball deal where Wisconsin uh, – well, well, Western Kentucky agreed to go to Wisconsin to play a football game, and it was not a bye game situation, so they didn't have to pay them to come. Like, hey, we'll just come there and play. But then we want a home-and-home basketball series. So they were at Cole Center last season, and then in Bowling Green, Kentucky this season. So that's what it looks like, I did a quick Google search, that um, – Western Kentucky agreed to go to Wisconsin to play football if they could get a home-and-home home basketball series. And so that is the story <laughs> to Wisconsin spending the last Saturday uh, before 2019 in Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky, uh, on Nevada, Utah. Uh, you know, Nevada's already beaten two teams better than Utah on, in true road games this season. That's USC and, and Loyola, Chicago. And neither are great or Maybe not even good, but they're both better than Utah because Utah's not good this season. But still, every time you're in, you know, a, a true road environment against a power conference team, like you, you, you know, that's a real game. You got to play. I do think Nevada will win. I do think Nevada's got a real chance to go undefeated. We will not spend another second talking about it on this podcast right now. Um, but that's that's not a gimme. You know, I think there'll be a single digit favorite. Uh, in a true road game. And when you're only a single-digit favorite in a true road game, you you, you got to show up. I do think they'll show up, but, um, you know, I won't be surprised if, uh, if, if they find themselves in a, in a tricky situation there. Let's move on to Saturday night because, you know, Alabama and Oklahoma is going to dominate uh, sports on, on Saturday night, as it should. That is what I'll be watching. But also on a, on a second screen, I will have St. John's against Seton Hall. Um, it's at the Prudential Center, Newark, New Jersey, 8.30 p.m. Eastern tip. Game is an official sellout. And it really is a a neat story, even though, you know, the, the context matters. St. John's is 12-0, um, but 12-0 but with 11 sub-100 Kempom wins. The best win is over number 74 VCU, so there's not a lot there, and this is St. John's first real test. But still, this is a program that went 8 and 24 in year one under Chris Mullen, 14 and 19 in year two, 16 and 17 in year three. That was last season. So I'm almost of the opinion I don't even care how you get to 12 and 0. If you're 12 and 0 on the last weekend of December playing uh, Seton Hall, matching two New York areas, you know, basketball programs against each other in a sold out Prudential. Uh, center like that's a pretty good setup no matter how you got there and so I don't know if St. John's is for real or not they obviously got some really talented players but if it took scheduling this way to create this night then I'm
1: perfectly okay with Chris Mullen ske- scheduling this way to create this night interesting approach on that Parish I somewhat agree he uh Saint John's has, has just struggled brutally, um, and I and I do mean brutally in the first three seasons of Chris Mullin's tenure because it wasn't expected to go like this. The first season, eight and twenty four, won fourteen games. Year number two, and then didn't get above five hundred last season either. And it absolutely should have finished sixteen and seventeen. So you build a schedule mostly. This past off season, a couple of games probably agreed to back in twenty seventeen, um, and Mullen and his staff, his his AD, they know they know what they were doing. Um, Probably didn't think they'd go 12-0. Hope, hopefully, they thought they could. But, you know, assure yourself of, of double-digit wins as you get ready for, for Big East play. Um, do you think St. John's will be in the NCAA tournament this season? Yes. I do, too. Now, the, no, the, the non-con is going to hurt them big time. I think they're going to get in. I think they're going to be pretty good in the Big East. But my prediction... So far out, which is idiotic, but hey, I'm being very stupid on this podcast. Let's just let's uh, let's close out 2018 with me making very regrettable decisions. I think you're going to see St. John's have a good record, and then when their name flashes across the screen and Greg Gumbel calls out their name, their seed line. Unless you've been ferociously following uh, NCAA bracketology, you're probably going to be surprised at where they're landed uh, because. The non-con's going to kill them. It just is. When they're going to be placed against similar teams, I think it's an inevitability that they're not going to have as much heft there to stand up to an NCAA Tournament Selection Committee inspection. This is critical, though. Not just Saturday, and I think it's going to be a really good game, and I do believe St. John's is a good team. Okay, you go at Seton Hall, home to Marquette, at Georgetown, and no, that's not a gimme. In fact, Georgetown's got a backcourt that can deal with St. John's, and then you're at Villanova. I mean, it is it is tough to ask, and no one would ask for it, it is tough to ask for a tougher start to your conference schedule, even though the Big East is down. Three of the first four on the road and your home game might be against the best team in the league, so... Things could turn real quick for St. John's in a hurry if it goes 1-3, and Paris the Thought 0-4 in that stretch. This is partly why St. John's, despite the fact that it's off to a 12-0 start, is not ranked, has not been ranked. Only this past week did it crack into the top 30 of vote-getters for the AP poll. I don't have an issue with keeping St. John's out. I think this is a very critical game for them. I will take Seton Hall to win because Seton Hall is a quality team overall. Um, I think St. John's is a better team. I think when we get to the end of the season, uh, we'll have St. John's ahead of Seton Hall. I th- I think you might have picked Hall ag- ahead of the Johnnies in our Big East preview, which is at CBSSports.com right now. We each made our 1-10 to uh, predictions on the Big East. I have St. John's ahead of the Pirates, uh, but in this game, I do like Kevin Willard's team.
0: I did pick Seton Hall ahead of St. John's. Um, you know, it's just that they've done more to date. Even though St. John's is the one with the perfect record, Seton Hall has done done more so far this season. They've got the win over Kentucky. They've got the win over Maryland. they got the win over Miami. So they've got three wins better than any win that that St. John's has. Uh, so I, I don't know if H- Seton Hall's better than St. John's, but I know they've done more than St. John's, and I I did pick them, you know, for, for better or worse. Who knows? Um Pick, pick them to finish ahead of, of St. John's in the in the Big e standings. If you're Chris Mullen, uh, Norlander, and I tell you right now,
1: you're twelve and zero. You will be fourteen and two after your next four games. Do you take it? Oh, you absolutely take it. I absolutely. mean, when, when people say, "Do you take it?" The unsaid part about it is, or you chance, you just chance it. You actually you go through it and you figure out what what you're gonna have, and you you chance going uh, 16 and 0 or 12 and 4 or something else. You absolutely take 14 and 2 in that scenario. No question, because you're gonna be underdogs in three of the next four, um, and three of the
0: next four are on the road. Uh, so just like you you know you laid out the schedule, it's at Seton Hall, home against Marquette, at Georgetown, at Villanova. Yeah, if you can go two and two in that next four, how about this? I'll take it a step further. If you go, if Saint John's goes two and two in the next
1: four, I will think more of Saint John's than I think of Saint John's with a twelve and zero record. I agree with that because of the opponents there. Because even if you like, even if it's what's the what's the weakest of that combination, you win at Georgetown and you, I guess you. Beat Marquette at home. I think that's, that's probably, we. Probably it. Yeah. Like that's still good. You're beating maybe the best team in the league, a team Parish has ranked I think in his top fifty in Marquette, and then you've got what? Georgetown. No,
0: they're twenty fifth. The, the, the Golden Eagles are twenty fifth. I love Wojo and his <laughs> basketball team and I all those keyed. all those passionate fans in <laughs> Milwaukee.
1: I keyed. I keyed. Uh, but no, yeah that that would be uh, that would be monumental. So this is just uh, we haven't had a lot of opportunities in the past, frankly existence of the podcast to talk about St. John's with the exception of them hiring Chris Mullen 4 years back. So they've uh, they've made a turn here um, and are I would say on the brink of national relevancy. They're not there yet. I have been eyeing them. Um, I have been fascinated with them getting to to 12 and 0 not having lost yet against a, a week's schedule. I think that is a step up. I think last season's team, season before, wouldn't have been undefeated. So at least they've gotten better, but this is this is no doubt a big time turn here.
0: And sometimes, and then we'll move on. You know, you look at you know St. John's schedule and you go, "Yeah, but they hadn't beaten anybody," which is true. I mean, unless you think VCU's somebody, but you know, even that was an overtime win over a VCU team that's almost certainly not going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, but they, but it, this is also true. Okay, fine. They haven't beaten anybody. They also haven't lost to anybody, and that's worth something. You know, like I agree. Teams lose. Good teams lose to bad teams all the time. So that is not to be taken for granted, or you know, just because you've played everybody you've played has been worse than you doesn't mean that you're supposed to win every one of those games. And so there is something to be said for just being 12 and 0, um, regardless of the schedule. The schedule is ranked like 344th at Ken Palm. It's not good, but 12 and 0 is is 12. 12 and 0 is still like it's still 12 and 0. It makes this game intriguing, and if you can. Turn 12-0 and into 14-2, and that doesn't sound good, but it'll actually be really good uh, for St. John's. And like I said, I'm looking forward to that game against Seton Hall on Saturday night. I will pick Seton Hall to win the game, but, um, you know, when you've got Shamori Ponds, you've got to – You got a chance. Um, Before we get out of here, in your court report uh, column this week, that people can find at uh, CBSSports.com, you uh, did a look back uh, at the calendar year 2018. So what that includes, obviously, is is you know uh, from January to December. So things from the 2017-18 season, but also things from the 2018-19 season. That is. Um, in progress, and then everything in between those two seasons, which included, uh, of course, a federal trial. You said, and I quote, that you'd be surprised if any year in the next decade matches 2018. Why do you believe this hyperbolic statement?
1: Because you had the trial. You had the first 16 ever to beat a one. You had a 98 year old nun become one of, if not the biggest stories over a three or four week span in all of sports.
0: If we, what, what if we did this? I've been thinking because Loyola Chicago it doesn't look like they're going to be back in the NCAA tournament. And if they are, it doesn't look like we're going to have a, another run deep into the bracket. Could, wh- what would be the issue with taking Sister Jean and just attaching her to a different school every NCAA tournament?
1: There's no issue whatsoever. It needs to be done. Hopefully, she can be bought. Okay? That's what yeah. Yes, yeah. it's like let's say St. John's gets in, and we go. Oh, St. John's is a fun team, of course. Let Mr. Gene, go
0: support St. John's for the NCAA tournament, and, they, and we just will her out there, and she's sitting there in a red sweater. Would that be fun? I'll
1: call them the Sister Johns. I'm all. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Um, so you have all that. You have the way that college basketball is actually organized from a recruiting. Res- perspective changed more dramatically than arguably it ever has. You have a commission established an unprecedented action on behalf of the NCAA and its president and it bringing about uh, significant rule changes whose effects are widely uh, debated, would be putting it lightly. Um, So you have... with ridicule. Yeah, ridiculed, absolutely. You also have... And I will get to a a few uh, chronological order things in a second here, but I'm just answering Parrish's question first. And then you also have the arrival of the most famous prospect of a generation and that prospect turned college basketball player exceeding the hype in Zion Williamson. To me, you put all of those elements together. Also, it was a top three actually... Did I think the link is in the court report? I did the research back in March, and uh, in my unquestioned uh, <laughs> uh, opinion, uh, the NCAA tournament's first weekend was one of the three best ever, from a subjective but also a statistical standpoint. So you throw all that into a pot, Parish. That's why I think it will be tough to match in the next decade a year of just events and consequence and historic upsets like what, like, what we had this year.
0: Um. Okay, like I, I you know, that, that's a perfectly uh, well stated uh, answer to the question. But when I look back on 2018, like what the, it doesn't stand out as this all crazy great stuff. Like I, I didn't say it get, was
1: great, but there, dude, you had men convicted in a federal trial after the FBI uncovered all all of this. You had a 16 over a one. You had Loyola to the loyal to the Final Four. You had Villanova, who might have. Been the best offensive team in the history of college basketball, and then you had the commission and everyone Lambasting Condi Rice and and Mark Emmer. I I don't know. To me, I look back on 2018. It was a noisy year, and I don't I don't think we'll be three four years out and be like, eh, what happened in 2018? We'll remember. Oh yeah, Zion got to Duke. Villanova was awesome. Sister Jean Loyola, UMBC. Like I think we'll still remember most if not all that stuff.
0: Yeah, i here's it's weird because I was thinking about this uh, not too long ago, just randomly. Um the, the We waited our whole lives. I don't know if we waited our whole lives. But, like, our our whole lives, our adult lives, it's like, is this the year? One's going to uh, lose to a 16. And then it finally happened. And does that story still – like, is that story as big as we always anticipated it being? I, th- think, so. I, th- I think I. It seems like it would be bigger if it happened to Duke. It would Kentucky. be. Yeah. Yeah. But that it happened to Virginia, for whatever reason, makes it – I don't know. I just – when I look back on the year of college basketball, a 16 beating a one should probably be the first thing that pops into my head, and it's just not for whatever
1: reason. Well, I think that also speaks to how much other stuff happened that was major in the sport this season. But you're right. If it happens to a Blue Blood program, it it definitely has uh, a louder – Effect, a lot of reverb. What's interesting is Virginia was overwhelmingly the best team. And I do mean overwhelmingly. If you looked at any major metric, it was the best team heading into the NCAA tournament, number one overall seed. So from that perspective, it was extremely shocking. UMBC had to get in on something of a prayer three-pointer to beat a better Vermont team in the America East. And so the fact that it did it also, it wasn't like... It was a dominant win. It kind of just – it didn't fizzle out, but they won 74-54. Now, like so, it
0: wasn't a buzzer beater.
1: Correct. Were, okay, yes. here, so here's the thing. You fi-
0: All these years, never happened. People said it'll never happen. Then it finally happened. UMBC beats Virginia 16 beats of one. Does anybody remember a single player from the UMBC
1: team? No, generally – no. The answer is no if we're, if we're talking uh, – no. People, in fact – this is Dude. a this is a smaller section but people might remember the UNBC Twitter accounts reaction to everything happening as it as it unfolded more than the actual players. I agree with that. Right. Um yeah. like I mean
0: I'm looking at the roster now but like if you would have just like stopped me in the streets and said name two UNBC players from last season's team, I'd have been like I don't, know. you know. I don't know.
1: Well, I can uh they had Lyle so I remember who was awesome That's was the one big. I would
0: have known, but then after that it was like I don't know.
1: I don't want to cheat. I can't remember another one. But I do remember uh, Jairus Lyles because he was actually a transfer in, if I recall correctly. Uh, but as I also wrote, that was – see, one's romped on 16s forever. Like, since 85, this was a violent repayment of that. This was a a, a pendulum swing aggressively to the other end where it was such a dominant win – and I asked listeners to send in some uh, some of their podcast moments. I'll get to those in just a second here. But one, I, I think that might be my most memorable podcast moment for us, just from, from my perspective is, perish. we recorded that at like, it was like 2.20 in the morning. Um, I was in my hotel in Pittsburgh. That was a Friday night going into a Saturday a.m. And the plan wasn't to record a podcast, but like it happens. I had to write a story about it. We had to get it done. It was it was very big in the moment. I still think it is big. Like, I do think 20 years from now, we will remember that it was UMBC that beat Virginia. Um, I think that will resonate, but I understand the greater point of what you're getting at. Because it wasn't tight. It wasn't this, like, you know, three minutes to go, and they're trading big shots. No, it was, good God, UMBC just took the head off of Virginia, like, halfway through the game. Um, I think that was... Uh, but hey, we've given it some some minutes here on the podcast. It, um,
0: what's interesting is that when you look back on that NCAA tournament, you had a Villanova team that I really do believe is one of the great national champions of, in modern history. Like I, I don't actually think that's hyperbole. I, th- that team was awesome. Yes, and if if not for some midseason injuries, they instead of Virginia. I think would have been the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. They would have won the Big East regular season title. Like, when healthy, that team was basically unbeatable. And so you've got this unbelievable college basketball team that people didn't look at and say, no, oh, that's one of the most talented teams in the country. But they ended up having four top 35 picks in the NBA draft. So you got that. And you've got the sixteen beating the one. And yet, when you say 2018 NCAA tournament, first thing pops in your head—it's still Sister Jean.
1: It is uh, to me, yes, Sister Jean. I—I I actually, I—I I, this became a thing. I think just around the Final Four. Uh, to me, it's loyal to the team, Porter Moser as well. But yes, yeah, Sister Jean, uh, you know, to me, Clayton Custer, Dante Ingram, the, you know, Marcus Towns are are in the forefront of my mind. But that's—I'm not the average person. It will be again a 98, now 99-year-old nun. Um, and you know what? I think that's okay. I think that's part of what makes the tournament so big and so unpredictable. There's just no other sporting event in America, Parrish, that can produce something like that. And it was like, you know, it didn't end well, as normally is the case for the mid-major that gets to the Final Four. But the ride there was awesome. And the most surreal moment for me, period, covering college basketball this season. I don't know, Parrish, you might have been doing on set doing stuff at CBS Sports Network at the Alamo. When this happened, but I was there for the Sister Jean press conference, which I think was the Thursday of the Final Four. The attendance in that room was absurd. It was as if a world political event were taking place, uh, a complete phenomenon. Like, I I don't think I'm ever going to see or experience anything like it again. Like college basketball, I guess it will have incredible things happen. This year, five years from now, seventeen years from now, twenty-nine years from now, but <laughs> the circumstances surrounding Loyola getting there, and on in the court report, if you check, like you know, they needed buzzer beaters or near buzzer beaters, final seconds to even get to that point, which makes the story even better. But when you add in the fact that they've got you know a woman of the cloth on the sideline in a wheelchair, and she's become this like good luck charm, it's, it's was, uh, it was it was. Unlike anything, it was it was awesome, but bizarre, and I embraced it all the same, regardless.
0: No, it was um, it it was a phenomenal story, and, and I do think the story with the with a, uh, all due respect to Villanova and uh, Loyola as a team, the Sister Jean thing, I do think was the the thing people most remember about that 2018 NCAA tournament. You mentioned you asked people for podcast moments of 2018 this will be interesting because i remember very little
1: okay <laughs> i'll get to, uh, all right let's do that and then i do want to just hit a few other things that happened during the season and uh you could chime in if you want but if not that's okay so um from kyle craig he says when gary parish saved prostitution i don't remember this when did you save prostitution on the podcast
0: well, I was working on saving uh, the prostitution industry. I, I, I think it's possible that I failed. Um, it's when I would say peach jam. and I thought if I could save peach jam, I could also save Las Vegas okay. and then <laughs> yeah, and right. also save the prostitution industry because of all the coaches that um, that that spend money in that way out in Vegas final week of July each year. They, 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 the NCAA ended up like sort of splitting the difference. They le- allowed us to keep Peach Jam, but they sacrificed Las Vegas. And so, as it turns out, all these months later, it appears that I saved the Hooters in downtown Augusta, but did not. I, I, I failed in my attempt to save the prostitution industry in Las Vegas. I apologize to the prostitutes listening.
1: R.I.P. Um, all right, Andrew Scott sends along. Did you know Memphis was at an all-time low for season tickets sold last year? I'm surprised it never came up. Um, 40, why didn't we talk about this on the podcast?
0: 48-year low um, in in uh, actual attendance. Modern era low, season ticket sales, donations, recruiting. I really should spend some time documenting how much of a disaster the Tubby Smith era um, is. You know what? I say I don't remember much about 2018. I think on my deathbed <laughs> assuming I don't have all or something where you know, where I can't I shouldn't joke about that. Like everybody in my family ends up getting that. So I'm pretty certain I'm headed oh, that direction. Um, but 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 short of that, I feel like I can be on my deathbed someday and they can and, and somebody can say, off the top of your head, in great detail explain to us the disastrous Tubby Smith there and I'll just be able to go bullet point after bullet point after bullet point after <laughs> bullet point. I got a lot of mileage out of the Tubby Smith air.
1: Uh, five times around the world, no doubt about it. Um, Troy Martin says my vote for the best podcast moment was when GP said just one word: bacon. A what recent, a-, a recent moment, but also a good story, where you did not have the stones to stand up to Bobby Knight and say, you know what, I'm not eating bacon for dessert. You took that bacon,
0: dude. If he, if he, if he's gonna choke Neil Reed, what do you think he'd do with me? Like, he, ch- he choked a basketball player. You think he I – I ain't trying to die in the middle of Carnegie Deli. I'm trying to get choked to death in, a, in in Manhattan over a plate of bacon. Like, if, if my options are get choked by Bob Knight or, you know, just eat a piece of bacon to flatter him, I'm mean, going to eat the piece of bacon every time. I, I, I think it was the right decision then. I still today think it was the right decision.
1: Eric Place uh, says, "Can you include uh, a summary of Trey Young over under results? We cannot. That is not feasible or doable whatsoever. And brainstorm some more over/unders for 2019, maybe. But I feel like we'll get a new kind of thing. If we'll figure that out, that kind of came. I like things to come organically. The way the shout out to Devin Downey and Terry Teagle and the unfortunately forgotten Calvin Natt. Um, He also says I missed the pod where the shouts to Larnell were introduced. That came about because of the trial in October. Uh, Larnell, I mean, do you want do you want to lay it out, Parish, or do you want me to?
0: Well, here, um, this is actually, I'm glad you got here because I've had, um, I ask you guys to please, if you haven't already subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast uh, via Apple Podcast, to please go do that. And a lot of you have. And so thank you. And um, people will leave comments or I'll I'll get Twitter messages from folks and they'll say, hey, um, relatively new listener to the pod. Love it. You're amazing. So on and so forth. But then they'll say, hey, I don't know where this what is the or, uh, origin of the shout outs, because I, I don't know these stories. I think sometimes we assume people have been listening to this as long as we've been doing this. And that's just quite clearly not true. The, the podcast has grown um, overwhelmingly since we got rid of really Jeff Goodman and Sam Bassini. <laughs> and oh, and so we have a lot of listeners that do not know the origins of these shout outs. Let me ask you: Do you know the origin of every shout-out?
1: Yes, I'll do it. I can I can tell you right now, but I don't know if you want to if you want to run it down yourself.
0: Okay, the first one was Devin Downey.
1: Right, but you, but you know how it happened. I believe
0: I do. You correct me if I'm wrong. I think we were talking about John Calipari's first Kentucky team. Yes, it was Tom Wall, Demarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, Patrick Patterson team, and famously, that team lost its first game at South Carolina and. We were talking about that game. They were 19-0. Had to go to South Carolina on January 26, 2010. Do you know I actually put that in my calendar?
1: <laughs> January 26 is in my calendar. Hold on. Let me check the t- keep talking. I'm checking to see if that date will fall on a podcast schedule for us. Go ahead. Okay. So, it does not. Uh, January- it's, a th- it's a Thursday this year. So mm-hmm. the day before or day after, we'll commemorate. Go ahead.
0: Uh, so January 26, 2010, and we're talking about that. And I'm like, and they had this little guard who just went off. What was his name? And mm-hmm. I couldn't think of his name. We looked it up, and I was like, uh, Devin Downey, Devin Downey. And I was like, shouts to Devin Downey. And then the next week it was – I think we were also talking about that Kentucky team again, talking about Kentucky. We talk about Kentucky a lot on the podcast. And uh, so then I shouted out Devin Downey again, and then after that it just felt right. Correct. So that's how thats how Devin Downey became a shout-out. And um, one, of my, one of my real joys in this life is to hear about when people go to – like wherever Devin Downey was playing in recent years, or like when Devin Downey would be at the SEC tournament, and people just randomly just shout out Devin Downey right to his face, which is so funny to me. Uh, like, yo, shout, shout out to Devin Downey. And he just like smiles and acknowledges him. I, 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 we were a part of his Wikipedia page at one point. I don't know if it's still there, but we were at one point. So that's how the Devin Downey thing happened. And then I actually don't remember how we got to Chester, South Carolina, except that that is Devin Downey's hometown.
1: Uh, we I'm – Perhaps a a diehard listener will remember more specifically, but I believe we just did a quick uh, biographical dive on him, and we discovered that he was from Chester, (laughs) South Carolina. That came soon after the Devin Downey shout-outs. Now, the Terry Teagle thing came about—do you remember? I do. I want to see if you do. All right, here's what I remember with Terry Teagle, because it was on the same episode as Calvin Nett. Again, Calvin Natt, lost to the ages, who, by the way, runs a funeral home, I believe, in Colorado. Calvin, call me. You got my respect eternally. Um, so we were looking up the last time... If I, I wonder if you remember all the specifics here. I believe we were looking up, like, the last time a Baylor player was like, drafted in the first round lottery pick or, like, had, like, 40 40 in a game or something like that? No,
0: no, 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 no. It was the last... I was trying to find out when the last time Baylor had a... or if Baylor had ever had a first-team or a second-team All-American. That's what it it was.
1: Do you remember what player sparked us to look it up? Was it the great Torian Prince? No! (laughs) Was it... Do you remember what it who it was? I had to look it up, but I did look it up. Was it um, Nah? Quincy was too long ago. Um, like Terry M. F. and Teagle. We're talking four years ago, max at this point. Um, I would say if you'll it,
0: know it when you see it. If you're just looking at, I'm rosters. not.
1: I'm not. I'm not looking at rosters. I'm trying to. I'm trying to recall it. If it wasn't Tori and Prince. Dude, I I don't know anyone else that was recent because it's there's no one in the past couple of years it would have been I don't I don't think all right anyway go ahead it was Jonathan Motley was it that recently that was only two it was, no two it's been longer
0: than that no Jonathan Motley because I had Jonathan Motley as like a first team All American at one point in the season he he ended up finishing for whatever it's worth third in the Player of the Year Ken Palm
1: ratings. Damn. He was good, but he was – I, I don't know if he was a first-team All-America that year, though.
0: 2017 Kimpom Player of the Year standings. After the season was over, Josh Hart, mm-hmm. Jock Lendell, Jonathan Motley, Caleb Swanigan, Nigel Williams-Goss. Frank Mason was actually sixth, and he was most people's, yes. I think, yes. player of the year. Okay. So, uh, so I was looking up. Like, okay, is, is this ever happened at Baylor before? Like, are we watching the best Baylor basketball player of all time? And I found that um, Terry Teagle was a second team AP All American once upon a time. But if you remember on the original podcast where I was dropping this knowledge on you, I called him Terry Teague yeah. <laughs> for, for like- for like the first seven minutes and then because because i was calling him terry teague and then i was googling terry teague to try to find because i think maybe you asked me like well what year did he play and i was like so so i'm trying to look this up while i'm talking to you and i'm googling terry teague and of course nothing comes up because his name's not terry teague (laughs) it's terry teagle (laughs) he's terry teagle the legend so uh that's how that one happened and then larnell of course is uh DeAndre Ayton's buddy. <laughs> There's a family <laughs> friend,
1: and his name is Larnell, and he was uh, allegedly uh, in in possession or of access to uh, a certain sum of money, which I found to be uh, just the perfect name in the perfect spot. So he is he has earned um, he has earned recognition on each and every podcast. Larnell, I have no idea if you even know we exist or this podcast exists, but I really really hope that you listen cuz that would make it uh, amazing. Um all right, can I just scoot through a couple of items here just kind of offbeat stuff that I thought was interesting in 2018? Sure, sure, sure. Okay. January 2nd and I'm not going to take every every item, but this is uh hits home at CBS. Bruce Pearl wears a 4 and 14 shirt to an Auburn practice and or shoot around and why does he do this? He does this because our own Kyle Boone, not Kyle Porter. Again, if you listen to <laughs> the show, that's, uh, that's another reference we're not going to get into. Not Kyle Porter, but Kyle Boone. Predicts Auburn, at that point, highly ranked off to one of its best starts ever, to nonetheless go 4-14 four and 14 in the SEC. It was Kyle Boone's moment of arrival. <laughs> the th- Pearl wearing this shirt becomes so big, ESPN actually does one of those game day six-minute features on it. Like, crazy. So, to me, that's a top five moment, just knowing who Bruce is. Kyle getting thrown into this. you know, I just thought that was uh No, it's incredible. terrific.
0: And, um, Bruce has been a good sport about it. I actually talked to him about it um, multiple times. You know, th- th- this time, because it was around this time of the year that he did it, right? Yeah, It was January 2nd. We're almost coming up on the one year. <laughs> so, like, around this time of the year. Like, I just sort of, you you know, it's a slow time of the year. You get, you get sort of lost in your own little world. So I didn't even realize Cal had done that. And then it, and then, you know, you, and then it becomes a thing. And obviously, not only does Auburn not go four and 14, they win a share of the SEC regular season title. Um, And I remember at some point during the season, I'm like, how did you even get to four and 14? Like, it'd be one thing if you, like, you know, eight and eight, you know, like, yeah. how how do you go from this Auburn team has been incredible to they're suddenly going to start losing almost every game they play. (laughs) What's funny is like, not only was it wrong, it was just like, and I say this with, with a laugh. Yeah. It was, it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous (laughs) prediction.
1: I know. know. Um, Just an awesome (laughs) moment though. Um, Later that month, January 20th, I was in Vermont at Killington Zion Williamson, Two things happened that day. One, Trey Young put up 48, and I mentioned this in court report. It was almost the uh, it was the perfect encapsulation of Trey Young's career at Oklahoma, which is, by the way, another big thing of 2018 was just Trey Young doing what had never happened before. You asked, like, will we not see another uh, year like this in the next decade? Well, no one had ever led the league or the 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 sport in scoring and assists. Trey Young did that, so he loses in an OT game against Oklahoma State, scores 48. But Zion, the bigger news was Zion Williamson who was expected to go to Clemson and if I remember correctly, see that was the that was the one weekend I take every year and go skiing I had it off but I think Kyle Boone pre pre he pre-wrote uh, a Zion to Clemson, a Zion to South Carolina, a Zion to K- Kansas or Kentucky. He wrote like three or four. One he did not write because no one wrote it was going to Duke. So as we watch Zion now and and, and Duke and all that it's become, it's worth noting, that this was an absolute stunner, like one of the most shocking ones ever. No one thought that Duke was actually in the mix, and lo and behold, January 20th, 2018, uh, he he shocked the world. He picked Duke. So I thought that was a, a, a thing worth noting.
0: It's hard to, uh, to maybe make sense of shocking the world by picking Duke, but if you go back, because that's like what most elite prospects do, that Duke wants, but if you go back to that day, almost nobody thought Zion was going to, to Duke. And I, if I remember correctly, it was just a bad weekend for Clemson all the way
1: around. Yeah. They lose Zion, then they Grantham got injured. I think they lost a game. Like it was yeah, bad. they
0: lost a the game. Somebody got injured, and they lost Zion. It's just a bad, bad 24 hours.
1: It was. It was not. Uh, it was not good. Uh, in in February, we had two uh, two not good stories. Um, first of all, another thing in 2018 that was historic. Like the first time ever, the NCAA takes away a title. Louisville lost its title officially on February 20th. Um, had to vacate a lot of wins. Patino had been gone at that point. Um, Paget was leading the program, but they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament. And then within like 24 hours of the of them losing their title, they get absolutely uh, just stomped by by Duke. And then um, the news of this broke in January, but the carryover really went into February, and that was just Michigan State. Tom Izzo for about five straight games, you know, he was just under it big time at press conferences, not answering questions because of an ESPN story that tried to tie together um, some things that were absolutely legitimate and had been reported before, but then, um, frankly, that Michigan State Athletic Department had a serious issue with the art associated with the story, putting Larry Nasser's picture alongside Tom Izzo's, alongside Mark D'Antonio's, and they had every right to be. It was irresponsible for them to do that, but it uh, it brought about the most... um, tumultuous stretch of Izzo's career and you know some months later the NCAA would wind up clearing Michigan State of any kind of wrongdoing in terms of uh, I it apparently handled all of that stuff but uh, that was Parrish that was really one of the bigger stories of the 2017-2018 college basketball season was the MSU stuff.
0: It became a, a situation where every time Izzo press conference was a, was at least something that you'd want to monitor because would this be the time that he finally answered questions? Would he be – because sometimes even reporters, um, when they know you're not going to answer something, it's good for television for their purposes if they ask you the question on camera anyway, to make you squirm, to see how you react, to see if you snap, to see if you slip up. And so you had these moments you know, after basically every Michigan State game for a while. Um where it wouldn't just be local media or national basketball reporters, but you would get traditional news reporters from like, you know, the New York times or the Washington or wherever um, coming in to ask Tom these questions. And it it was rough on him. I, you know, I've talked to him about it. I I know you have as well. Um, Because like, you know, he, he, listen, there was some stuff that had allegedly gone on within that basketball program that weren't great. I think everybody can acknowledge that. But getting lumped in with the Larry Nassar stuff, which literally had nothing to do with Tom Izzo or the basketball program or nothing, all did make it a little I, – I thought uh, – listen, nobody needs me to defend them. But I, I thought – let's just say it unfortunate. You know, you, you, you get lumped into the Larry Nassar umbrella, and even though you don't belong there, and it, 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 it took what would have been a certain level story – to an entirely different level.
1: I, I agree. That was uh certainly one of the uh the bigger stories and tougher stories to navigate through. Um uh, all right, February twenty third is I think the noisiest day of the year. I don't remember when we podcasted, how long after, but I wake up I wake up early, Yahoo's report is already out. Pat Forty, Pete Thamel. Whom we both know well. They've got these documents that Christian Dawkins had prepared. There's a bunch of names on it current players, Miles Bridges, Wendell Carter, Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox, former players, big figures next to them. And it's like it is a significant story. It's a okay, whatever we had planned for today, it's all going to the side while we read through this, figure out the news we're going to write, the columns we're going to do, the podcast we have to react to, going on HQ, CBS Sports HQ, all of that. So that all happens. The same day, I want to say it's about 9 o'clock at night. It's a Friday. Mark Schlabel on ESPN publish the story citing sources familiar with the government wiretap of Sean Miller talking to Christian Dawkins about paying $100,000 to get DeAndre Ayton to Arizona. This erupts the volcano to the point where I'm watching game day the next morning and I see Jay Billis who, frankly, I didn't expect to hear this kind of stuff from him. Um, Jay Williams, Seth Greenberg—they're all—they—they have—they have sent Sean Miller off to his Viking funeral. It is done. His career is over. He'll never coach again. DeAndre Ayton can't play. Possibly, just a wild, wild day. DeAndre Ayton never misses a game. In fact, he plays, I think it was that Saturday night, and if my memory serves me correctly, he had like one of the two best games of his college career that night. Miller didn't coach. He'd be out for about nine or ten days. Eventually, would have a press conference, refute all this. We still don't know what is or isn't true about that report, but that was... I mean, that was a wild day, because one more thing here, we had been waiting for so long from the FBI story breaking, the trials hadn't started, they were still so far out, we had just been waiting for something, nothing had happened yet, we hadn't seen anything else from the government, and then in one day's time, you get the Yahoo documents, and the documents that Yahoo got, that morning, pre-dawn, and then, you know, as we approach midnight, ESPN comes out with that, it was just, uh, that was a weird, weird day, no doubt about it.
0: Well, the Yahoo story from that morning ends up being a big headline, but amounts to nothing, mm-hmm. you know? because and re- really, it was always probably going to because all it was was like just paperwork, like hey, we gave this person this amount of money, and then all this person was going to say is no, you didn't, and then it, where does it go from there? So, it was a big headline that just really didn't didn't have a a big impact on, uh, uh, you know, on on the sport other than it was a big headline. Uh, the Sean Miller stuff was massive because if you would have asked people on that Saturday morning, uh, you know, is Sean Miller ever going to coach at Arizona again? The answer would have probably been no because the report was taken at face value by most because it was uh, a report from a reputable reporter. Like Mark Schleyball is just like, like not some guy. You know, he's a He's a... Uh, a, a, a good reporter with a uh, um, with an incredible career um, he's worked at the Atlanta Journal Constitution worked at the Washington Post um, now obviously works at ESPN so it's a report from a reputable reporter you know on ESPN it's vastly different from like I don't mean to demean to anybody but let's just say somebody other than that so when the report is that Sean Miller is caught on a wiretap talking to Christian Dawkins about a pay-for-play scheme involving DeAndre Ayton, that that seems like game-set-match. You know, even if if you know somebody comes out and says, but no money ever exchanged hands, um, you know, a coach talking like that on a wiretap, we thought would would cost him his job, and 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 actually thought should cost him his job. And you're right, we we still to this day don't know exactly you know, what's real and not real, what's right wrong about that report. But I do think, and I say this with all due respect to Mark, who is a friend of mine, I do think the report's probably not exactly right. Uh, Because when Sean came out and denied it, if you remember, he denied it in very specific terms. Right. He didn't come out and say, I've never been on a wiretap, you know, period, or I've never talked to Christian Dawkins, or I've never discussed a pay-for-play scheme. What he said was, I never discussed, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I never discussed money with Christian Dawkins about DeAndre Ayton. Well, it doesn't mean he never discussed money with Christian Dawkins or that he never discussed money about DeAndre Ayton. It just means that he never discussed money with Christian Dawkins about DeAndre Ayton. So he denied it in a very specific way, and I think he denied it in a way that was truthful. But I do not think it means that Sean Miller has never been caught on a wiretap discussing a pay-for-play scheme. I don't know that, it, that he has, but I, it feels like it was a little bit of a communication breakdown between Mark and his sources. And I, I don't know if it was, well, it wasn't DeAndre Ayton, it was really Brian Bowen, or it wasn't DeAndre Ayton, it was really so-and-so. But I, here's what I think. I'll bottom line it this way. I think there are parts of the story that, of the report that are true and parts that are untrue. And there was enough untruth there that allowed Sean to, to refute the report in a very specific way, and now it's possible that, yeah, even though Sean, I think it's 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 well
1: known and documented, he was he is on a
0: wiretap somewhere. It's possible
1: we'll never hear that. It's possible, and um, from my understanding, uh, some sort of wiretap of Sean Miller was attempted to uh, be brought into court into evidence in the October trial. That never happened. We wait and see if and when trial number three. Trial number two wouldn't be relevant, which goes is scheduled for February. Trial number three, with uh, with the assistants that are still um, scheduled to be there, we'll see if that comes into uh, into play. Just a couple more things, and we'll wrap up. I did want to just mention the best game of the year, the best game period, in my opinion, was one that Paris was in studio for with CBS Sports Network, and we talked about it. It was Davidson 117, uh, or, uh, 113 against St. Bonaventure. Three play, or five players at 31 or more points. I think you were up late in that one and maybe recorded early the next morning. Um, so there were a lot of great games. The court report has highlights of some good ones, but to me, I like I watched the majority of that game. I don't know if you have much memory of of that parish, but that was, I think, like the best game start to finish in college basketball in the year 2018.
0: I remember it being awesome. I don't remember anything else. Okay. <laughs>
1: I love the honesty. Uh, Just a few more quick ones. Uh, We had a coach lose his pants... In the middle of a game, Ed, Coley, Ed Cooley ripped his pants in the Big East tournament. Afterwards said, when I sat down, I felt a great breeze in the crack. It's just an absolutely incredible quote there. That was at the Big East tournament. he um, had some big hires this year. Um, I, we might have mentioned it. I can't remember. But Penny Hardaway was hired at Memphis. Uh, Georgia got Tom Crean. UConn got Dan Hurley. Louisville obviously got Chris Mack. And Pitt hired Jeff Capel. Those were the five biggest. Um, if, you, if I can skip ahead here. Uh, there's other stuff that uh, that we've touched on largely, but on June 20th, the day before the NBA draft, I sat down to interview Marvin Bagley III, and sure enough, as was warned to me by a couple of people, don't be surprised if Marvin's father walks into the room and sits down and kind of monitors the interview. Well, that happened, and most of the interview actually was, was pretty good, except when I frankly had to do my job and ask why... On the heels of Bagley signing with Puma, the family decided not to remain loyal to Nike, who had afforded Marvin Bagley III's family with a lot of money in recent years on the grassroots uh, scene. And instead of answering the questions, I was addressed with a buzzer sound twice. And I'd never encountered it. It was bizarre. I think it's still on my phone. Um, but, yeah, that was a personal highlight, Parish, I don't know if you have anything to add to it. You weren't in the room. But I was literally trying to conduct an interview, and instead of getting words, I got, and eh. I eh. think
0: what Nike and probably Adidas, and I would assume Under Armour as well, uh, what they're learning and, and perhaps learned or, or were reminded of during the Bagley deal is that you can throw money at parents and grassroots coaches and whomever to influence where a kid goes to school. So, like, it's not a coincidence Marvin Bagley went to a Nike school. It's just not. I don't know that they paid him to go to Duke, but they they, they paid him to ensure he'd end up at a Nike school, and he did. And he was always going to. Um, I think what, what we're learning is that you can pay – a family, whoever, to to influence where a person goes to school, but once that person becomes a pro, it, they're just open to the highest bidder. What you did for them when they were 16, 17, 18 like to, it, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, because like all things being equal, they might just go to you. But if Puma comes in and, and and throws more money at somebody, then then hey, now we're Team Puma, and so if I'm if I'm an executive at one of these shoe companies, I I I, I sort of. try to make sure I understand exactly what we're doing. We are not paying Marvin Bagley's father now to ensure he's with us when he is the number two overall pick in the draft. We're paying him to make sure he goes to a Nike school. And then after that, we're going to have to compete with the other shoe companies to to keep him because there were a handful of draft picks this year that fit that description. They had been quote-unquote Nike guys or Adidas guys or Under Armour guys or whatever, and then they just flipped to a different shoe company because – you know, now it's just, it's, it's, they're open for bidding. And, 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 you know, most of them, not all of them, but most of them tend to go where the most money is.
1: Yep. I'll wrap with this. Um, Two things that happened in 2018 that will have much more significance in 2019. Uh, One is what went down on November 20th, and that was James Wiseman picking Memphis, hometown Memphis over Kentucky. So his college career obviously will start next season, but I thought that was uh, an extremely notable event, one of the biggest of November, and I put it on my list, one of the biggest of 2018. And then August 22nd, uh, yet another example, Parrish, of why 2018 was so different and will be so different. It it ended uh, an era of how the NCAA tournament was seeded and selected, or at least the influence of that. The RPI dies officially on August 22nd, now we have the net, which we will see the real effects of in 2019 but for the NCAA to officially do that in 2018 was a significant change as well so uh really quite a quite a hell of a year just a ton of stuff on the court off the court um hopefully we get a 2019 that can come close to it but I just don't see just in terms of things eras ending new things getting introduced uh, unprecedented stuff with players and teams I don't think 2019 can match it but uh I'd love to see it try
0: Thank you for the uh, trip down memory lane, Norlander. Without you, I would have
1: never remembered
0: 75% of that stuff.
1: You said 95?
0: 75, probably 80, maybe 85, maybe 98. I don't know. I'm not great at remembering things. You are
1: uh, great at remembering how much you don't like Marquette, though. I actually do like Marquette. That's
0: That's the problem. You and I have talked about this off air. What happens is everybody thinks you have these opinions about their school. Like, they, they, you hate this school because of this, or you like this school because of that. You're biased because of this, or biased because of that. Like, I had one Marquette fan. And by the way, for people who aren't living in this little, very small world, um, it's all rooted in, like, uh, Marquette fans think I have Marquette ranked too low. That's it. Like, that's the whole deal. It's not like I wrote a column ripped the program. <laughs> it's, they, they just think I have Marquette ranked too low. So now I'm, I'm, the, 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 I'm the worst person on the planet. So – one person actually wrote, uh, "You know, Parrish is tight with Buzz Williams, so that's why he hates Marquette now." And I'm like, "What? Nailed like it!" Like the the reason the reason <laughs> nailed it. The reason I ranked I'm ranking Marquette 25th is because I'm tight with Buzz Williams, and therefore I don't want to show that wojo has got it heading in the something like that. Like like, and I swear to God, I hadn't even thought about Buzz and Marquette. I mean, I thought I think about Buzz because he's got a great team at Virginia Tech, or a really good team at Virginia Tech. But they, like when I'm ranking Marquette, I swear to God on my all my son's lives, I never thought about Buzz Williams one time. But there are real people out there really do think you think that way, and then they come up with these just wild theories about all sorts of stuff, and it's just like, dude, I'm not thinking about you nearly as much as you're thinking about me. You got to twist it twisted up. But anyway, the point is, um. And I, I was thinking about this, and I think I mean this honestly. There's not a single school or coach that I wish bad things for. Like, there are some programs that they can win or lose. It doesn't matter to me. Most programs, frankly, they can win or lose. It doesn't matter to me. Most coaches, frankly, they can win or lose. It doesn't really matter to me. But there's, like, not this one guy or school out there that I go, you know what? I hope that dude loses every game. I hate him. They're just it, that, that person really doesn't exist. Like I don't I made a rule to myself a long time ago. I'm not going to harbor negative stuff about people who I don't have to deal with on a daily basis. (laughs) Like like I I, if I'm gonna hate somebody, it's gonna be somebody I live with or deal with on a daily basis. (laughs) Like I don't I just don't (laughs) let other people get to me. That's what I mean. Like I get aggravated by things that affect my actual life. I don't get aggravated by basketball programs winning or losing or or coaches winning or losing it just like doesn't matter to me the way I think sometimes fans think it matters to people who have jobs like ours but I'll tell you what does happen is that sometimes fans become so irrational and irrationally aggressive that you do start rooting against the fans (laughs) you you start going you know what I and I don't mean this applies to Marquette not yet but Mm -hmm. you go you know what God, I've been to Milwaukee. I've been to Marquette. I spent time with Wojo. I've known him for years. I like him. I love Marcus Howard. But if these fans don't cool out, I'm suddenly going to start rooting against Marquette because you want them to be miserable. (laughs) I'm not there yet, and I don't think I will get there because I actually like like the Marquette program. Um, But fans are – the one thing that actually makes people like – I'll just say me because I don't want to speak for you. The one thing that makes people actually start rooting against your team, the way you think they're already rooting against your team, it's you. It's
1: you and your Twitter accounts. So... you ever
0: get aggravated with fans that it actually makes you want their team to lose?
1: No. I do. I know. I I
0: will cop too. Sometimes I get so frustrated with a certain fan base that I want... I go, you know what? 5 weeks ago I didn't even think about you or your program. Now I want you to lose every game just so you'll be miserable.
1: So Buzz Williams is not going to be in the end of podcast shout out bundle. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think he belongs in the shout out do I you. No. Well, I mean if if you were really uh if you were standing for Buzz, perhaps he would have uh, My my beat
0: writing days started with Marquette. I was a Conference USA beat writer. Marquette was in there with Tom Crean. Do you know I've sat at a conference USA Media Day table, and the only people there talking to each other were me and Dwayne Wade. That's a I, true story.
1: I, I believe it. That would have been back in oh one or oh two, like right around there. Yeah. Like,
0: you think I don't have love for Travis Dener?
1: <laughs> I, I I know you have love for Travis Diener. I mean, how about this? Who could not think- have love for Travis Diener? This story might be made up, but I think it might be true.
0: Somebody will have to uh, check it for me. Shout out to Steve Novak. Shout to Steve Novak. So I was in Milwaukee spending time with Wojo and his staff a couple years ago. And I have a, we've hosted, my wife and I, multiple exchange students, um, one from Germany, one from Italy. And I was just texting with uh, my Italian exchange student while I was in Milwaukee. And she was like, so, so where are you at? And I said, I'm in Milwaukee now. And she, I think this is true. She said, uh, I, I said at Marquette. And she's like, oh, Marquette, is that where Travis Diener went to school? And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> How does she know Travis Diener? I'm like, not only is this where Travis Diener goes to school, like I was with Travis Diener five minutes ago. And she's like, he used to play for our professional basketball team. Like she, she lives in Cagliari or however you say it. And I think he was the star of their, like, little island basketball team. And so, like, she was so fired up that I was in the same room with Travis Diener. I hope I'm I hope I'm hope not making this story up. You probably are. Let me see if I can figure out if I'm not. He definitely played in, in Italy. So, like, at least part of this story is true. Anyway, she loved Travis Diener, which means I got to love Travis Diener, too. I got love for Marquette. Even, even, hey. Even a even the aggressive Marquette fans can't make me lose my love for Marquette.
1: Shout out to Junior Cadogan. <laughs> shouts to Junior Cadogan. Are we now just going to name random Marquette players? Lazar Hayward. I can do it. <laughs> who else? Who else has been at Marquette recently? Uh,
0: I want to. No, forget recently. I'm going to go back to my beat writing days. Let's see who we got here from. Shouts to. I just clicked on Travis Deaner's team. How did I do that? Let me get him out of the way. Shouts, Jimi- Shouts to... Go ahead. No good ones there. I don't like that team. <laughs> okay. That's <what> <laughs> Shouts to Dominic James. <laughs> I don't know about that. Jack, what are you talking about? That was that incredible class they had. Dominic James, Jerrell McNeil.
1: Jarrell Shouts McNeil. Shouts to
0: Wesley Matthews.
1: Oh, definitely Wesley. Who's like, like nine years into the NBA right now, by the way. It's crazy. You don't have love for Dominic James? Wasn't he a little bitty guard? Uh, I don't know how itty bitty he was, but yes, he was. He was. A, he was a guard. Um, I think he
0: was a guard. All right. Shouts to Uzman Barrow.
1: <laughs> Are you sure Is that's a, how you pronounce it? I don't know. I have no idea. The rule of the know. shout should be: you need to know how to phonetically say the name. Otherwise, it's, it's probably Oh, do you want,
0: you want to know something else? Here's uh, how much love I have for Marquette, and I'm gonna have to change my passwords. There was a time were my passwords to basically everything. I remember this. Credit card accounts, bank accounts, stuff. They were random Marquette players.
1: Yep. You need to change them all as we finish this podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm going to change them all because people will be hacking into my stuff. I don't need that. But like, I'm Marquette fans, do you understand? I'm the guy who committed my password arsenal to Marquette basketball players? And now you guys are trying to turn on me?
1: You're going to have randoms just Punching in Matt Carlino into <laughs> logging into like <laughs> Chase accounts right now. All right, Vander Blue. All right, let's get out of here.
0: Oh, shouts to Vander Blue. He left. He, he, he's the one that left school. Maybe he shouldn't have left school when he left school, right? Something like that. Yeah. But I think he ended up. Like he's probably doing well. I hope he's doing well. Shouts to Vander Blue. He might actually. <laughs> he might actually get it. Get into the list because Vander Blue is a great name. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. Fintigal. Shouts to Larnell. I'm sorry if you've had to sit through the past 20 minutes of this. Um, We could probably go put an insert in post production that tells you about 20 minutes ago. You can just go ahead and stop. You don't need to hear the rest of this. But if you're still here, uh, shouts to you. We're going to record again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.